Hello, and welcome to Unscripted, Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from domestic and sexual violence services and partner organizations discussing all aspects of interpersonal violence, plus solutions and resources for support for residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Kendra Lee. On this edition of Unscripted, I'm talking with Lydia Gerges, Advocacy Services Supervisor in Domestic and Sexual Violence Services, and Colleen Armstrong, On-Call Crisis Line Specialist with DSVS, about the history and importance of Domestic Violence Awareness Month and the best ways we can support survivors while raising awareness. Lydia, Colleen, thanks for being here on Unscripted Conversations about Sexual and Domestic Violence. Hi, Kendra. Thank you for having us. Of course. Domestic violence is a short term for a broad array of behaviors that can have long-lasting impact on survivors and and victims. A focused 30 days of raising awareness about this topic, now known as Domestic Violence Awareness Month, started in October 1981 as originally a day of unity. It wasn't until 1987 that DVAM became a month-long national observance. On this episode of Unscripted, Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence, We'll talk about the ways DVAM has evolved from its early days, why it's important to observe the month, how to raise awareness, how to best support survivors, how to advocate for change. Well, so basically all the things. We're going to start broad because I think part of the reason we've had such difficulty eliminating relationship violence is because our language is lacking. What is domestic violence? Lydia, I'm going to toss this one to you because I know DSVS just recently updated their definition of domestic violence. That is very true, Kendra. We actually got together and we looked at the language we currently have. We surveyed our clients and we looked at how sometimes language can hinder the way that people look and see themselves in the definition. And we want to make sure that everyone look at the definition and see themselves and we're being as inclusive as we can. The new definition includes a lot of different um, populations, I want to say. Um, do you mind if I share it with, with you guys? Please. So the new um, or the actual definition we have is that domestic violence is a behavior that harms a current or former spouse or dating violence, dating partner. It also impacts family members, children, and other people in the home. Domestic violence can happen between any people and any gender or sexuality. Um, and we actually heard from clients about different types of, of violence they have seen. And we wanted to highlight that domestic violence is rooted in gender bias. There is prejudice and, and also in racism and has a negative impact on the community as a whole and, as, and the whole society. And people devi- define and respond to domestic violence in many ways based on culture, values, and other factors. And some people in, in our society have been oppressed in ways we must consider when we're looking at responding to help those impacted by domestic violence. And because of that, we looked at all the different ways um, violence have been perpetrated. Um, and that's why uh, we looked at the definition from a different way. Okay. But does the term domestic violence even resonate with everybody who may be a survivor or is impacted in some way? No. A lot of people don't, it, don't identify themselves as, as in, in a situation which it's a domestic violence. So what language would work better? 
It could be toxic relationships, unhealthy relationships. Everyone have their own way of defining it. And that's why when we looked at domestic violence, we looked at behaviors. We didn't look at the actual terminology. So I can come in and say, are you in a domestic violence situation? And someone can say, no. But they can have one of those examples that we we had we had a like a lot of examples that we've heard from clients. Like um, I can give some examples, like trying to control someone, um, using religion or culture or immigration status to threaten someone, trying to make um, someone do sexual activities they don't want to do, um, keeping someone's birth control or forcing them to. Uh, keep or end the pregnancy. There is a lot of examples that sometimes when people just throw the word domestic violence, um, it kind of exclude a lot of people, a lot of behaviors that happen. Um, and that's why it can be a little bit isolating um, when individuals can see these behavior like um, hitting, kicking, shoving, um, um, especially if the violence is geared toward the children or even toward pets, there's a huge correlation between uh, pet abuse and domestic violence. Um, and someone you can say, oh, are you in a domestic violence? And they say no, but there is a lot of threats to the pet. There's a lot of control. Um, there's a lot of threatening activities. So this is why we're trying to concentrate when we're talking about domestic violence, about the behavior, not the terminology. Okay. So what are some of the long-term effects of unhealthy or toxic relationships? Colleen, I'll let you answer this one. Uh, so we know that there are a lot of lingering effects of domestic violence. Um, we see incredibly high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder, um, PTSD, or even complex PTSD. We see correlations with negative physical health outcomes. And so we might think about physical violence, right? That, oh, somebody gets hit in the face, a black eye a broken arm. But what we also know is that there's correlations between the experience of domestic violence, living in a relationship where there is that dynamic and having outcomes like hypertension, premature birth, low birth weight at pregnancy, uh, low birth weight um, at, at full-term pregnancies. Uh, we also see those mental health outcomes like we talked about. But So what we also want to frame with this is the experience of domestic violence for a lot of folks is the experience of the acquisition of disability. So there is an incredibly high correlation between folks who have experienced domestic violence, folks who in particular, their domestic violence experience involves some sort of strangulation and the acquisition of traumatic brain injury. What we know, though, is that because folks don't identify as domestic violence or because folks don't report because they say, well, it wasn't that serious or I don't want to get my partner in trouble or I don't know if I'll be believed or it'll get worse if I report that they're not reporting those injuries when they happen. And so that makes mm -hmm. then the experience of leaving the relationship and potentially accessing disability benefits really, really difficult because there's no documentation of the injury, right? There's documentation of the lingering effects, but there's no documentation mm -hmm. of how the disability was acquired. And so really framing this for folks is that domestic violence, the experience being a, a survivor of domestic violence, being a victim of domestic violence can be disabling for folks. And folks aren't coming forward or don't under have that understanding or don't have the language to talk about it until 10, 15 years after the fact when they're saying, you know, I was strangled to a point of unconsciousness in my relationship. And now I have the, these cognitive difficulties. Um, and, and I'm just now, 10 years later, connecting the dots that this was my experience. And so there can be long lasting effects, physical and emotional for folks. 
um, that they may not realize at the time because, you know, it only happened one time or it wasn't that serious. Or when I told somebody about it, they brushed it off. Um, and now I'm dealing with the consequences 5, 10, 15 years later. So let's talk about a little bit about the history of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I talked in the intro that it began as a single day in 1981. It didn't become a national observance for six years. While we can all agree that domestic violence is wrong, bad behaviors are wrong, unacceptable, why did it take so long for the powers that be to dis- declare DVAM a national event worthy of 31 days of recognition? I think some of it comes from the fact that the experience of organizing around domestic violence prevention, the experience of, especially in those kind of early days, um, where it wasn't criminal everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um really was the experience of making visible the invisible, right? Bringing to light something that was not seen or was seen as a family issue or was just kind of seen as the cost of doing business within relationships. And so that first day of organizing, you have folks coming together around the country who have been doing their work in silos, right? Who thought they were the only folks doing it or who Mm -hmm. thought they were the only folks doing it in their state um, or in their towns and who were, I think about a domestic, one of the oldest domestic violence organizations in a different state, uh, than Virginia that literally began as a group of folks where one person had the ability to <laughs> get an extra phone line and was mm. running a hotline out of their basement and folks had a key to their basement and would come in and answer the phone when they could. Oh, um, wow. Right. And so that then became one of the oldest, now is one of the oldest domestic violence service organizations in, in a different state, right? But that being the experience and they weren't experts. They weren't social workers. They weren't psychologists. They were just a group of folks who all either had lived it in their homes as children or new folks that had had really, really dangerous and scary experiences and wanted to do something, right? And so when we think about that first day, um, pulling it together, it was folks coming together, uh, to say like, hey, this is the work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, to borrow from uh, the labor movement, right? To, to mourn for the dead and fight like hell for the living. And so when we see this kind of, um, this evolve first from a day, all right, of mm-hmm. folks saying we're all doing this work together into a week, into a year, um, then we are, we're coming together um, from there. Uh, and so what we see in that first observance, uh, as a national day, right, as an organized national day into week and month is a correlation with the launch of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, right? So the culmination of in that moment, this organizing to say, mm-hmm. um, we now have national resources. Uh, and so, so that's kind of the, the little piece of, of history that we have there. Um, and, and carrying on that legacy of those first organizers, right? Acknowledge the folks that have lost their lives, celebrate the work that has been done to prevent for the year, and mobilize for the future. Okay. So we know that domestic violence doesn't happen only in October. Why is it then so important to focus on DVAM, to have a month-long celebration or observance? Colleen, I'll go back to you on this one. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's an opportunity to organize. Right. It's an opportunity to bring folks together where this isn't the focus of their work every single day. So, you know, using October, leveraging October as a jumping off point for folks to see their place in it where they may not, this may not be their day to day work, right? They're not walking into an office with domestic violence in the title of their organization Mm -hmm. every day, Mm -hmm. but an opportunity for them to jump 
in wholeheartedly uh, in their space, in their work, in the way in which they can see themselves in the movement and then develop from there or work from there, right? And so it's an opportunity for folks to to be to find their entry point uh, into into the work of ending domestic violence. Okay, so what are some things that people listening can do to raise awareness and and individually on an individual level and organizationally? I know there are things that we do, like we're purple on Purple Out Day, and and Fairfax County has the canine crawl. And there's a toiletry drive that we do in Fairfax County as well to gather needed supplies for a shelter house. But what are some other ideas that we can have around supporting and raising awareness and events and activities that that organizations can do and also individuals? There is a lot of activities that happen during October that can be virtual. It can be in person. It could be just an individual bringing a flyer to work. You don't know who is a survivor and who is uh, need this service. And you don't know who would actually benefit from seeing a flyer coming in. So coming to work, uh, talking to your coworkers, talking to your family, talking to your friends. Uh, there is a lot of virtual 5Ks where people can um, start from one point and walk and submit their, their picture online or say, I support victims. I start by believing the victim. Um, these are things that any individuals can do. Um, inviting someone to come to your work and talk about domestic violence and how can you as an organization provide support or connecting to different agencies. Um, it's very common for us to hear from professionals. Uh, how can I help um, in my professional place? And domestic violence happens to anyone. Um, so it's really important to have these resources accessible um, to be knowledgeable what to do if meeting a survivor, how to be supportive, how to connect someone to services in your area. Um, these are things you can do individually. It doesn't have to be a, an agency. Uh, we've heard a lot of people kind of, um, I know you, talk, you mentioned the Toilet Street uh, Drive. There is a domestic violence um, shelter in Fairfax County. In every jurisdiction, there is one. Um you can just buy a few things and go drop them off at the shelter to kind of show your support to survivors. Uh, or if you're a survivor yourself, um, you can always call and see what are available services um, to know what options you have. You're not alone in this. Um, and there is a lot that that is Fairfax County has, is offering. And just knowing what's, what's out there, um, it be, could be something you can do. Okay. So, Colleen, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical here. If you could design any activity or event you wanted to raise awareness about domestic violence during DVAM, money's no object. There are no restrictions by, you know, government restrictions or whatever. If you could design the perfect event, what would it look like? I think the perfect event would be something that would be cross-cutting where folks could come into the event um, to raise awareness in their communities in their roles, right? So maybe that's a business finding a way to to offer a percentage of their proceeds for that day uh, as a donation to services or as, you know, direct uh, community and mutual aid to survivors, right? Directly offering cash to survivors. Uh, it could be an opportunity for faith communities to deliver a sermon or a homily or um, focus their, their services that day. Um, 
on kind of domestic violence and the fact that across across faith, right, in an interfaith or multi-faith setting, that domestic violence is not something that is condoned or accepted um, within that faith, and then potentially taking up a collection or organizing um, healing spaces where folks in their communities that have been impacted can go and get support within their community with that lens towards their faith. Um, similarly, cultural groups uh, could do something similar like that, right? So I, I don't think it's necessarily a one-size-fits-all event or a perfect event. As much as you, you gave me my magic wand, I would wave it and I would do it. Okay. But but the opportunity for folks to come to the work in a way that makes sense for them in their roles and to bring their expertise, right? So I am, you know, uh, able to do my job to do something in my role, right? But I, I'm not a small business owner. I wouldn't know the first thing about running a small business, but there are amazing local entrepreneurs that are doing that, right? That are running small businesses. So how can we bring in their expertise? How can we bring them in in their role to understand, right? The linkages between workplace safety and domestic violence. Most mass shootings in workplaces have a tie to domestic violence. Um, and so how can they make a connection to that that can increase their employee safety and also make a contribution to their community? to increase awareness of domestic violence and actually be part of the solution, right? Again, whether it's donating a portion of the proceeds, creating a mutual aid situation where if you run a clothing store, for example, you know, survivors can get a referral to come in and get an outfit for an interview, right? Or get new clothes for their kids to start school, right? New school uniforms Mm -hmm. and lift a barrier, right? A financial barrier to leaving that, that situation. Okay. So how best do we support survivors how do we best advocate for survivors? And are those the same thing? Are supporting and advocating the same thing? Lydia? I think they're not. Um, I think there is intersectionality between both. Um, you can support a survivor without advocating for the survivor. Um, okay. You can um, support survivor in a lot of different ways. It could be just... If someone first discloses to you that they are a survivor, um, not asking the very famous question, why don't you just leave? Because it's not that mm-hmm. easy for someone to just leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but providing support in a way that someone can um, can connect to resources, can say, hey, this is a hotline. You can call at any time. Talk about safety. Do you feel safe where you are? Um, even if you don't want to leave the relationship, can you stay safe in your relationship? Uh, what are things you're doing? What needs do you need? Um, I knew Colleen talked about some basic things that people don't think about, like someone leaving a relationship with no financial means, having an outfit to go to job interviews or to go to work, having documentation destroyed, um, cultural part of it, a spiritual part of it. And how can you support someone who is either in a relationship that they they want to stay in, but how to stay safe, or mm-hmm. after they leave, what are needs they need. Um, and just supporting them in a way that is not judgmental, not to say, because no one actually chose to be in this situation. Optimize um, mm-hmm. is such a complicated issue. Like, it's not just a clear cut. This is why this has happened. Um, so support can look in a lot of different ways. Um, and especially when, when being supportive and not being judgmental and offering these very small things that you can do. Advocacy, um, it's a little bit misunderstood sometimes when we talk about advocates in advocacy, um, 
we try to do advocacy on, on a bigger level. So we try to do advocacy between systems, kind of connecting clients to resources. We try to mm-hmm. make sure clients have option and know exactly their resources and try to connect them with different community-based, county-based, government-based agencies to make sure they have options because that's the biggest part of it is a lot of clients have shared with us that in their relationship, they feel isolated. They feel like there's no way out mm-hmm. um, or there's, there's other reasons they're staying um, and us trying to kind of advocate for them and making sure they are connected to all these different resources to know there are options you there are resources out there and we can connect you to as many things as we can for you to know what's out there um that's part of it so we do resource we do support but we also do a lot of other things like um connecting someone with a court system and how complicated that can be um connecting someone how to get an emergency protective order and how can how complicated that process can be and how can someone actually access these resources. Um, so that's what usually advocates would do. Um, and part of it is supporting the survivor, but also trying to connect them and take it to a different level. Okay. All of this sounds overwhelming to me as an individual. If I want to support someone that I know is being impacted by domestic violence, what can I do? on my little individual level that doesn't feel overwhelming like all the things that you just described. Give me some tips and some steps that I can follow to start this, to start the conversation with someone. I think the first part is validating that person. This person started this relationship. They are in this situation because of a reason they had and mm-hmm. validating them and um, telling them, yes, this, this, this is really hard situation you're in. How can I support you? And ask mm-hmm. them what, where do they want you to help them? What area that they are asking for is, um, for example, they may just need support in getting the hotline number. That in itself a huge support that you can provide as an individual to someone who may not have that resource. Or they may say, um, all I need is just, um, I just left a relationship and all I need is, um, I need you to just listen to me and hear me what I have to say. And that in itself, it's a huge part of it. Um, you can just listen and, and validate this person's feelings and support them in a way that's emotionally like to tell them, you've done everything you can to get out of this relationship or you've done everything you can to stay safe in this relationship. And everyone has is expert in their own life. Um, mm-hmm. So they do as much as they can to stay safe in the way that they know best how to do that. And I discuss a little bit, maybe are you safe? Um, how, is there any way I can support you in being more safe um, and work with them in, in that way? Um, that's another way you can definitely support someone. So what I'm hearing, Colleen, and what Lydia is saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is don't go in with my preconceived notions of what they need, but listen to them to find out what they need. They'll tell me what they need. Yeah. You know, within that and how Lydia was talking about advocacy, you know, the way I, I would think about and describe advocacy is, to somebody or would would encourage somebody to think about that conversation, right, is that you you are a conduit, right? You are 
a, your, your GPS, your ways, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody knows what, what they want, where they want to get to. They want safety. They want to not be harmed. They want a home that is, that is loving and safe for themselves and their children. Um, mm-hmm. what is confusing? What is hard? What is scary? What is dangerous is the path to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the options, right? So what does ways do when you're driving somewhere? Here's the five ways you can get somewhere. I want to give you a heads up that if you pick this way, this is the obstacle. If you pick option two, here's where the traffic is. If you pick option three, here's where the road closures are. And here's how long and it's going to take you a little longer to get there. Doesn't mean option three is bad. Option mm-hmm. three might be the best fit for you, but you just want to be aware of those things. And so for individuals, it can even start on a, on a really grassroots level, right? The tips and tricks, t- tips and tricks. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but the advice that Lydia gave is, is incredible when somebody comes forward to a disclosure. But how do you set yourself up as a safe person? You begin mm-hmm. by building community. Do you know your neighbors? Do you say hi to your neighbors? Do you ask them how they're doing? Right. When you're waiting at the bus stop with folks for your kids to get picked up or to, to take the bus to work. Are you making small talk? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you taking that earbud earbud that which trust me, I know, like that's <laughs> it's a hard one, right? We've all lost mm-hmm. it a little bit after COVID, you know, after after coming back into the world, right? But am I setting myself up as somebody that's a safe person? Do mm-hmm. I know where my resources are in my community? Right? How I, have I ever called the domestic violence hotline just to find out what that experience is like, right? And to say, I just want to know how I can be a resource for someone. Um to say, I'm, you know, I'm seeing this in my neighbor. Is this something I need to be worried about? What can I do for them? Um, and by building that community, right, which is something we can do 365 days a year, mm-hmm. we're setting ourselves a safe person that somebody can come to with a question, right? And that can be anything from, you know, hey, will you bring my trash cans in because I'm going out of town next week to, hey, I-, I just don't know where to go and this thing happened and I don't know if I, if I should be here anymore. And it then also opens up the opportunity for you to ask that question when you have concerns, right? You're probably not going to knock on your neighbor's door if you've never said hi to them or engaged in conversation or built community with them to say, mm-hmm. I heard something last night that was really, that sounded really scary. You good? Right. But if we've said hello to our neighbors, if we brought their trash cans in, if we've knocked on their door to check on them because we haven't seen them in a few days, it becomes a much easier and a much lighter lift. Right. And so that that community building, that connection to our neighbors um, is something we can do in October and something we can do year round. Okay. And I'll get back to the year round thing in just a moment. What are some things I shouldn't do if I'm trying to support survivors? What should I not say? What should I not do? I think the biggest thing is like, why don't you just leave? Because okay. that's such a big question that a lot of people think it's so easy, but they don't put in mind that um, for someone like that's the period when someone decides they're going to leave is the most high danger time during this relationship mm-hmm. um, and how that can be sometimes lethal. Um, mm-hmm. We don't think about that when we're asking individuals and it can sound very judgmental. It sounds kind of uh, disvalidating someone's experience and their choices they made and making sure that we're not judgmental. Like uh, it, when we tell someone like, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just pick up your stuff and leave? It just, it's very easy to say, really hard to do and kind of making sure that 
um, as I said, like being supportive in a way to mm, that everyone makes decisions because they have reasons to make these decisions. Don't people don't wake up in the morning and say, I, I don't want to feel safe today. Um, I don't want to believe that, <laughs> but, um, this is what we've experienced is, um, or someone just saying this is big, they kind of making free, preset ideas about this person and why they are in the relationship. Ask questions. Be open about it. Be the safe person. I love what Colleen said. It takes a, it takes a village to, for someone to, to feel safe. So kind of making sure that you're having these conversations with your neighbors, your coworkers, knowing your surrounding, um, then it would be easier to have these conversations. And really, uh, I don't know a percentage, and that's not really important, but isn't there a group of, of people who are in toxic relationships who don't want to leave because they still love the person and they, they just want the, the harm to stop. They want the abuse to stop, but they want to stay. So the, why don't you just leave? Doesn't even make sense for them. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is. A million and one reason why someone would stay um, in a relationship. Um, it's not just that like it's financial or spiritual or culture, but there's so many. And it could be that the person loves this person. Um, one thing that we hear all the time is the good time or really good time. So why would I leave? Like it's going to get back to that good time. Or I have feelings for this person. I have a children with, with this person. Or... I, um, I'm emotionally attached to this person or culturally, I can't really leave because this is my religion or this is spiritually or this is my community and will be, be cut out of my community. So there, there is a lot of, when I say there's a million, I'm pretty sure there's more than a million reasons why someone is in a relationship. And that's why coming in and saying to someone, why don't you just leave? It just, I doesn't wish work. it's that easy. It doesn't work. It's not that easy at all. And for someone to like actually have feelings for that person, um, is very common and it's a valid reason why would someone stay? Um, but again, this is it, when someone takes that decision to leave. And if you are that safe person, they're mm-hmm. going to come back to you. Um, and they will be able to come in and say, yes, I'm ready to leave. This is the resources. Can you help me? Can you support me? Um, and that's why it's really important to establish yourself as a safe person. Um, if a survivor comes in and kind of shares a little bit about the situation and you're like, no, um, I think it's just easier. You just need to like break this off and just walk away. Um, it's going to be really hard for them when they really need help and they decide whatever in that relationship, they need different support to come back to you because you establish yourself as a not a safe person. Okay. Which brings us back to what Colleen said about this is work that's all year long. It's important that we do devam and raise awareness and highlight this issue in October every year. But this is year long. This is year round work, correct? That is very correct. Yeah, this is this is work that we have the opportunity and the privilege and the to do to do all year. And again, it doesn't have to be the kind of sitting on your hands, like waiting for something to go wrong at the ready, right? The work of building community, the work of 
letting folks know this is a community where folks care about each other, where folks care about what happens to each other, where folks are invested in everybody being healthy and having healthy outcomes can happen year round, right? And that's also, that's positive work. People think a lot of times around, you know, domestic violence and they're thinking kind of worst case scenario or thinking about, you know, when the worst thing happens. And that's really heavy and that's really discouraging. But Mm -hmm. the work of building community, right? Building those protective factors that um, prevent against domestic violence is is work that we we get to do because you get to know your neighbors. You get to make small talk at the train station, right? And, And you get to find joy in that. Right. Okay. That'll do it for this edition of Unscripted Conversations about Sexual and Domestic Violence. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Lydia and Colleen for joining us. If you or someone you know has experienced interpersonal violence, call the Domestic and Sexual Violence 24-hour hotline at 703-360-7273. That's 703-360-7273. Or visit fairfaxcounty.gov and search for Domestic and Sexual Violence. To listen to other county podcasts, visit www.fairfaxcounty.gov slash podcast. Unscripted Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.